If you have a Bible, I want you once again to turn to the two scriptures we've used the last two weeks. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, 1 John 5 and verse 19. Now the title of my message today in conclusion to what the other two messages were about, about the world life and deception and so forth, is avoiding deception. That's our message this morning. That's the title, Avoiding Deception. You're living in a deceived world. The deceiver is free to roam about. He can tempt anybody because he has a roaring lion. He's looking about whom he can devour. He wants to mislead people. He wants to deceive people. He wants to distort the truth, rest the scriptures. And anything else that he can do to make you confused, not understanding, unsure, or eventually just why bother? Lay it down, walk away from it, have religion in your life, but not active. This is the work of the devil. And the whole world, the Bible said, lies in deception. Now, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, the Bible says, and that great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And I'll stop there. That's an amazing statement. Deceives the whole world. And then in 1 John 5 and verse 19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. The whole world. That's the total. The whole package. That which God created, man created in his image, has been so distorted and so maligned that he is now called deceived and unfit for fellowship with God because he doesn't have God in perspective. He has a view of God, a figure of God, an opinion of God, a perception of God, an idea of God. It makes him feel good. It's as good as anybody else's. And so uh, he considers himself in that degree to be religious because he has things, something about God. He has been lied to because we said in the last couple weeks in John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus said, said that the devil from the beginning was a liar. The one who was cast out of heaven was identified from the beginning as a liar and the father of lies. He cannot speak the truth, and when he speaks, he speaks a lie. And his lie, it says he's a murderer because that's how he gains access to the souls of men. It's through lies. The very first sin in mankind in history became because of a lie. Hath God said. It is still happening today. It is as easy to deceive people today as it was then with Eve. Just challenge what you hear. Just challenge what God has said. Did God really say that? Is that really what that means? Do we have to go that far? I mean, does it cost that much? Come on. And the devil wants you to think like that because the Bible said he deceived Eve through his subtleties. And that's the appeal to her mind. Because that's the way he works, thoughts in your mind. And if he can get you to think on those thoughts, as a man thinketh, so is he, that's the way you'll begin to live. You'll begin to think that way. You'll feel good about it. You go to church, you're to a degree religious, and, uh, you know, if anybody's going, surely you are. And, I mean, surely God knows that you're not a bad person. And so you get that kind of philosophy, that kind of thinking in your mind. And sometimes it's hard to teach people like that because they're already convinced that they know enough about it or as much as you do and what they believe is as good as what you believe. The devil's a master deceiver. The devil is a master warper of men's minds. Now, we in the Scripture know about him. God has given us enough information about the devil that we should be aware of him. We know about the word wiles and methods, and then we, we've heard about his devices. And again, the word subtleties, those are words to use to describe him and what he does. He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking. He's looking for the vulnerable soul, and there are many of them. So we're warned in Scripture 
that this is going to happen, that it is happening and will continue to happen until the very end. Now, the question we asked then, can we as Christians, not as individuals in the world apart from God, but as Christians, as professing believers, can we escape this continuous onslaught of lies and deceit? Can we? It appears, again, I don't, I'm just trying to be honest after all the years I've lived and the thousands of people I've stood before in most of my life. It appears that most people would rather be deceived than to be learned about scriptures. Like Jesus said in John chapter one, men love darkness better than light. There's much more human freedom in darkness to do what you please and to feel all right about it than there is in light. Because one of the things that light does is reveal darkness. And you begin to see things in your life that aren't right, and then you look for another church. Because there are some things that God says that men don't want to remember. One of the most awful deceptions that will take place in life is, is that verse in Romans 1 that says they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. What an awful and tragic thing that is, a decision that a man makes, well... I know the Bible says that, but, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not really into all that. So you kick it aside. You really can't forget it. It'll gnaw on your conscience until your conscience is seared, and one day you don't care anymore. But that word that God planted in your hearts, in your children's hearts, it's in there for a purpose. And it'll keep gnawing at you and dealing with you when you're not doing right. When you're walking away from it, it just keeps bugging you in there. That's what it does. And when you can get rid of it, and you don't want to keep it anymore, you don't want that in your life, God will let you go. He'll let you go. But is it possible for us being assaulted daily throughout our lives, having to fight the good fight and so forth, can we escape this? Remember Jesus said in Luke chapter 21 in verse 8, he said, pray always. Jesus said this, pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape All these things that are coming in the world. Is it possible then for us to escape all this stuff that's coming? Of course it is. He said, pray that you'll be accounted worthy. You'll never be worthy, but he says, pray that you'll be accounted worthy. I mean, whatever worth we think we have is in Christ. He is our, he is our, he is our righteousness and peace and joy and everything. So we're counting on him. And the Bible says, pray that you'll be accounted worthy. With all you've heard, all your opportunities to live it, exercise yourself in it. Pray that you'll have the courage to do it and find yourself accounted worthy of God to escape all that's coming in this world. Now, we hear about that a lot. The end times, the major things are not hard to teach on because the Bible gives us a lot of descriptions of the end. But it's a time of terror. The subject of the day of the Lord, when God's vengeance is loosed on this earth, and he takes vengeance, and man's hearts begin to fail because of fear, and, and never, nothing is certain anymore, and everything has fallen absolutely apart, and man cannot do anything about it. Jesus said, pray that you'll be worthy to escape all these things that are coming and that you'll be able to stand before the Lord and have him say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, what does Scripture say that we can do then? I've found four Scriptures or more. There are many more, but I've selected four Scriptures this morning with reference to our title of Avoiding the Deception. Here's what the Bible says. First, go to Deuteronomy Chapter 11 in the Old Testament, we could find a similar verse in the New, but I want to show you that the whole Bible speaks of this. Deuteronomy 11, not just the Old, but also the New, or not just the New, but also the Old. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 16. First of all, if you want to avoid the deception that we've been describing, that is an unrelenting, continuous attack of your life of the devil in this life never stops. If you want to avoid being snared and overcome, number one, you better take heed to yourself. He said in verse 16, take heed unto yourselves. Notice that your heart be not deceived and you turn aside 
and serve other gods and worship them. Because it appears that once the heart is deceived, the life turns aside. I don't think it turns away from some idea of God or some religious ideas or convictions. But you turn aside from the truth because your heart has been captured. Because if you don't take heed to yourself, and nobody can do that for you, then your heart can be snared and you can be captured. Just briefly, and I'll come back to 11 in chapter 4 and verse 9, it it says this. Chapter 4 and verse 9. Only, he says, take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. But teach these things to your sons and to your grandsons or your grandchildren. Notice in verse 9 of chapter 4 there, he said, Take heed to yourself and to your soul diligently. Now, that means you really put some effort into this. Yourself, who you are. What have you heard? What challenge has been given to you by the Lord about your personal relationship with him? And we'll set the big picture side of all the doom and gloom coming in the world, and we'll bring it right down to this. In light of what I have heard for the last 40-plus years of my life, what am I going to do about it? What am I doing about it? Am I doing something about it? Am I living it or just glad I heard it? Am I living it or just familiar with Scripture enough that I can quote it and put things together and make a sermon? Or is it a life? Is it a life I'm living or wanting to live? Maybe imperfect in some ways and a lot of ways, but is the heart involved in a personal contact with God and a desire to please Him by doing what He said? You see, I have to come to that. We all do. This is personal. With all of us. The word heed is is a verb which means to watch, to guard. To take heed to myself means that, okay, now, I've heard the sermons, sermons, plural. I remember many times in my life the convictions and so on and so forth, all right? Now, after all those personal contacts and all those many times, where am I right now? In my walk with God or my Christian life, where am I? Is there evidence today that God has been affecting me in a good way? Is there a change in my life that is evident? Or have I just been listening, you know, being a a hearer and not a, a doer? So, Taking a personal stock of myself. Remember the verse in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. This is the New Testament counterpart to the old. He said, examine yourself. Look at yourself. Are you in the faith? It's what Paul wrote. I'm putting it in my words. To the church. They've been struggling. They were up and down, and they hadn't always done well, and he had to deal with them. He said, you folks examine yourself. Are you really in the faith? Are you, I mean, are you really in it? I know you're listening to it and you're around it. Are you in it? Is it in you? Is Christ in you, he said. Make a check of yourself. I mean, this, is, this is eternally important. Check yourself out. Examine yourself. Test yourself. It's the word for that. Is Christ in you? Because if he's not, you're a reprobate. And if Christ is in you, there's got to be evidence of his lordship and his leading. That's what he says. So he says here, back again in the Old Testament here, take heed to yourself that your heart be not deceived. How many times, talking about deception, how many times has true deception been evident by making the Word of God somewhat insignificant. You didn't say it didn't count, didn't, didn't matter, I don't care for it. No, 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 no. It's, it's added to your life because you want to go to a church where they preach the Bible. So you go where they proclaim the Bible and people seem to be believers and all of that and, and you're a part of that. 
And then 30 years later, 20 years later, 10 years later maybe. There there seems to be a lack of the significance of what you hear in your life. I mean, we're still making too many bad choices when we've been taught not to. We still find ourselves being difficult when we've been told we're not supposed to, that behind that is the devil, and yet we could do it anyway. There is a place that God intends for his word to have in our life by which our life is determined by the word. We live according to it. And when you get to the place where, yeah, 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 and then you go back and begin, you know, just kind of doing things your own way. Well, you know, who's perfect? You're being deceived. You're being deceived. Your testimony is being flawed. Remember this. With all of our becoming and all of our growing and everything else, remember one of God's primary things with our life is to make you a witness. A witness to the world. That others have to see Christ in you. They need to see the effect that he has on us, and that you have escaped the very things that's defeating the world, they need to see you've overcome that. This is what the Word of God does to us. We didn't know how to do anything right until God opened our eyes and gave us a revelation. Then we begin to go, oh, yeah, because of that conviction. It might have taken us a while to deal with it, but we let it deal with us. Our life begins to change. Somebody says, you know, I've noticed that you're, you're different than you used to be. There you go. There you go. A good work is taking place in your life. God's going to be able to use you because now people see that what he's done in you is given an appeal to the world. Here's a solution to their problems. But you see, if we begin to set those wonderful words of life aside to where, yeah, 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 that kind of an attitude, and we begin to allow the devil to distract us with other things to do, other places to go, and give us busyness and other things, even though we violate the word a little bit, that's no big deal. I mean, I'm all right. I I mean, I'm too good to go to, to a bad place. I know that. You start thinking like that. In this hour, in this age, after 30, 20, 40 years of church, after all these years of traveling, note taken, and and being in your church all your life, it is easy to just take for granted whatever God said because the devil's a master at deceiving us. And he'll tell you when you start getting really serious about living this word and, and trying to do what God said, well, now you're becoming a fanatic. And the very opposite thing of what I just said, the devil said, he said, you're going to drive people away. They don't want to be like you. You're crazy. All that clapping and hollering and stuff like that. I mean, that, but people don't do that in church. And, and they don't. The Bible may say you should, but people don't. You know why? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to set that part aside. I won't, I'm, not, I'm not going to heed that. But see, you broke through. You said, you know, I think instead of me telling God what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do and what kind of person I am and I'm not into that and I'm not ready for that, I think I'm going to humble myself with a contrite heart and just do what he said. And I can still remember the days of my life when I first raised my hand or first said amen, little little bitty things. It started somewhere. After that, you know, you kind of went you know, in a lively meeting, you want to do that, and, and felt funny doing it because the Christian church I was in, you didn't do anything that wasn't in the bulletin. I mean, everything was done as we called it, decently and in order. We knew when the, what the sermon was going to be, what number the choir was singing. We even knew the overture the organist played when we left the church. I mean, they always printed that in there. It was always French. I couldn't understand it. But everything has been done in such a way that even the emotion is taken out of it. As Christians, they're not supposed to have emotions unless they're at a ball game the night before. The devil is a master at at powering down Christianity or promoting other aspects of Christianity to replace the essentialness of it. I mean, the very things that come forth from a renewed heart and a born-again soul and eternal life lies in your heart and the joy and enthusiasm of that, the devil does his best to set that aside. We don't do that here, the leader said. I heard that on a, heard a preacher say that once. Well, we don't do that here, <clears throat> okay? 
All right, then I won't go there and do that. I just won't go there and do that. I'm not your enemy and I'm not your adversary, but if that's what you want to do, it's fine. But I don't want to set myself down in a, in a church pew the rest of my life and know what I know and deny it. And if I can't do it here, I'm going to go somewhere I can. I want to be one of those people who are accounted worthy at the end, having a heart wanting to do what's right on God's terms. And if it costs me my reputation, and it probably has more than I'm willing to admit, so be it. So be it. I'm still an unprofitable servant, and I'm here because God has let me be here. God is good. I don't want to turn aside. I don't want you to turn aside. But we can If we're not careful with ourselves, I've heard this, I've heard this, I've heard this. Why did you say that yesterday? Why did you act like that? Why are you so, why don't you? Why are you so subdued? Why are you backing away from the truth of that? Why are you so afraid of what people think? Why are you afraid of what the devil thinks? If I said it that way, you'd do it differently. Why are you so concerned, not talking to you now, I'm Speaking editorially, why are you so concerned about what the devil thinks about you? Let me give you a clue. The devil doesn't like you. The devil despises the ground you're walking on. He despises you so much that given a chance, he will kill you. And he'll kill your children. And he'll destroy your hopes and your dreams. He'll make you promises in this world. Look what you can have. Look what you can do. Look where you can go. And one day, ten years later... That dream is gone, and you're struggling so much. You think, well, what happened to my dream? The devil pays in counterfeit money. And yet God starts you back where everything seems to be such a struggle. Ten years later, you got peace and joy, and things are working for you. It's just a big difference. That God's way is different from the devil's way. And here you are as an individual confronted by God with his word. This is the way walking in it. Now, will you walk this way or not? Well, Lord, it isn't easy. And he might say, I didn't say it was easy. Nothing about this was intended to be easy. It's with difficulty that the righteous enter into kingdom. This is not a life that everybody can live, obviously, because it's not a life everybody wants to live. We'd like to cross out things that interfere with our freedoms and Somebody tell us that we can do something else. That's just natural. But there comes a point when you take heed to yourself, you're not going to allow that anymore. I'm going to align myself with the word. I want God to have control. I want him to be able to say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant at the end of my life. That's one of the ways he said I can escape deception. Now, another way, another thing that you can do to escape Deception is to avoid the advertisements of religion. Avoid the advertisements of religion. It seems like when a religious thing gets going, when a a church gets its feet off the ground and gets moving and gets going and gets some people coming, some money coming in and some things getting in, building and stuff, and it seems like the bigger it gets, the more it wants to get bigger. And more appeal is made not so much to Christ and your need for Christ as to be a part of a growing church. And if you want to keep people in that environment, you have to give people a reason to be happy in that environment. You know what I'm saying? You have to make people realize that, you know, I really love being here. I like this. And it's not like my sins are getting dealt with or I need to be born again or I'm being challenged with good convictions. It's just that everything is sort of geared to making me a part of the happy whole, the happy group, the happy bigness and all of that. And so one of the things that the devil does is glamorize man's version of religion. He glamorizes that. People want to follow people. So there's always some figurehead who has eloquence, has a sophisticated manner of uh, appeal to people. They like that. He's unique. He's different. A lot of people follow him, and he's written books on TV, you know, all that. And a lot of people say, now, if somebody gets that kind of notoriety, 
It must be God. You know, how many thousand members y'all have in your church? Well, we've, well, we got two or three thousand here. Well, not so much. But that seems to mean God is doing something. And there is a thing that gets in the mind of man that if we can make it bigger, it'll have more significance to people. They'll see that this is really what God is doing. If you want to go where God is moving, go there. Why is that? Well, look at the number of people that are there. They can't all be wrong. I mean, somebody that's, that's used like this of God to build this empire couldn't be wrong. This is the way we think. These are the kind of thoughts that come into man's mind. It's not what are they preaching? How does he live? How do the people relate or anything like that? It's just, look how many people are there. And so people like to put a lot of stock on that. They like to be a part of that kind of a system. And you know what I believe? I believe you can be big and be right. I believe you can be big and be wrong. It just depends on your motivation. What, as a man, as a group, what are you after? What do you want? You want 10,000 people in, in a huge building and church because it means God is doing something? Let me ask you a question. Could man in his abilities do that? Could a man be trained how to preach, preach what people like to hear, be a motivator, be motivational, make you feel so glad you came and that you are so important to God and you're such a vital part of what he's doing and he, he chose you to come to him and to fit in with his plan and love God's people so that we can go touch the world for Christ. Can you do that? Could you talk like that? I had that chance many, many years ago, and I thought, I ain't going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Because what Christianity is all, all about is being saved and becoming a disciple. That's a narrow little message. Now, it grows because you have to teach disciples of what the Christian life is about, and a lot of Christians didn't come for that. Now, they didn't, and you know I'm telling you the truth. They didn't join this big thing so they could become little schoolchildren in some teaching center. I don't go for that. I'm not there for that. I will go to one meeting a week, and that's on Sunday morning, because God doesn't do anything the rest of the week. And they will put their time in, they'll put their money in, and they'll, they'll make their appearance once a week. And they're made to feel good about it. And as far as great convictions about living a life and doing things right, nothing is said. You want to live together? Most of the time you can. You want to drink and carouse in a great big church? You can get lost in it. Nobody would know it. And nobody would deal with you if you did know it. Because the attitude today is live and let live. Liberal liberties. Freedom of thought. And why should the church be in opposition to that? This is a modern era. I mean, if we're going to do what God wants to do, let's quit being so narrow and old-fashioned. Yesteryear is gone. This is a new age. <laughs> and it is. I mean, live and let live. They're probably going to get married anyway, so come on. And if they don't, well, all right. Be careful. And you think, how does that fit into what God is saying to his people? How can that qualify anybody to ever be accounted worthy to escape? They're part of it. They're deluded, but they're a part of the system. I'm not saying something big can't be right. Don't go out of here and say I said that, because I do believe that when Jesus spoke to 5,000 on the hillsides and so forth, I think a lot of those probably were touched by everything, but when he came to the end of his life, how many were left? Twelve, and most of them left him. It wasn't like Jesus came to start a big church on the corner. He came to save, to seek and to save the lost. And once he saved them, to teach them how to live on his terms. That's Christianity. He didn't say, I want you to come to church, get born again, and find you a pew, and count everything else to be extra. No, now that you've come, you learn how to live on his terms, because you're going to be accountable for that in your life. And people just don't like to hear that. 
especially the bigger it is, the more you have to lose because you can't afford to lose people. So you advertise what's going on as God's new thing. I heard that so many times. Every time something strange would happen in the circles I was in, it was always God's new thing. And when I, I remember a couple of times I said to the people, probably shouldn't have said it, I said, what's new about what you're talking about? The devil was doing that a long time ago. That's not new. Oh, I remember the lady had confronted me one time. I said, all this laughing and jerking and stuff, that's not God. She was so mad she was crying after them. She was mad at me, and I got saved. And then the last I heard of that lady, uh, it was pretty sad. See, you think you're all right. You think you're saved. Your experience is still fresh, and yet one day you realize just 10, 15 years later, There was absolutely nothing to it except one emotional moment that was not authored by God. And you got away from it. Your house went to cahoots and your family and you quit going to church and now you're difficult, hard to get along with. You telling me that was God's work? You've really been deceived, but it started with a little thing. Woo! And here we are, years later, that same little crowd uh, has probably gone into some dark hole wondering what happened. Where was God? He was still where he was 40 or 50 years ago when he taught us and brought us out of darkness, gave us his joy, pointed us to his word and the gladness of it. He's still there. Like a preacher told me once, he said, so what are you preaching these days, Hamilton? We used to know each other pretty well years ago. And I said, same thing I did 40 years ago. Hadn't changed a bit. And he said, well, God's moved on. You know that, don't you? I remember thinking how deceived that statement is. You see, what we once learned, that's good. But not today, this new thing is what we're into today is whoa, whoa. And that very thing that he was involved in, it just crashing and burning as I speak. People are being left out. Hearts are hardened and hurt, disappointed. Well, the devil is a killer. You know, let me tell you something. The same old, same old that you hear is life. It really is life. Don't dread hearing it. Don't work. It's your life. This is the only thing God watches over to perform. And Jesus said about this word, he said, there is only one thing necessary. Can you imagine? Only one thing is necessary, and that was hearing the words of the Lord. Now, what you do with them, I don't know, but I would like to say that When God brings me to him and saves me, I really do want to be around people that I can trust, grow with, learn from, and be a part of. I don't want to be in some program. There's nothing wrong if the group is ordered by the Lord and it's orchestrated right. I'm trying to be kind. But I would rather just have good old home fellowships with people that I love and people that love me and desire that. And to do that, walk that way, remember, these are the last days. It shall come to pass in the last days that many shall depart from the faith, and they will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, and people won't know the difference. Because you cannot know what is wrong unless you first know what is right. And the devil can keep you from wanting to hear what's right and just be a part of a movement and a flow and a new thing and experience new freedom. Yay, we're delivered from yesterday. Then when this new stuff comes and these subtle forms of deception begin to creep into your life, these attitudes and ideas, they begin to take root in your heart and your life and they'll destroy you. The Bible said these are called seducing spirits. They are doctrines of demons. And people, and I'm saying it again, people don't even know 
that that's true. They don't even know that that's going on. Turn to Luke 21. I quoted that a while ago, but let me look at something else in Luke chapter 21 and verse 8 concerning the big movements and the big advertise come to us and we're bigger, better, brighter. We got more. Listen at this, verse 8, Luke 21, verse 8. Now, we've quoted verse 36 earlier. And listen at this. This is an end-time verse. Luke 21 is like Matthew 24 and Mark 13. They're talking about the last days. And in this context, verse 8, Luke 21, Take heed that you be not deceived. Now, there it is again. Now, you be careful. You all are personally responsible to whether or not you're deceived. You challenge what you hear. You challenge yourself when what you hear is right. Are you living this? Do you really believe this? You do that. Jesus said, make sure that you personally are not deceived for this is going to happen. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. But it will be so bad that were it not for Christ coming, even the elect would be deceived. It's going to be that real. It's going to be that bad also. Keep going to the right way back there to Second Thessalonians. What a tragic thing to think of here. But it's going to happen. We can't change this. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me read this. Beginning in verse 6. And now you know what withholdeth that he, the Antichrist, what keeps him from being revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. It's working right now. Only he who now letteth or prevents will do that until he be taken out of the way. That's another sermon. Verse 8. And then... When he is taken out of the way, it might be that time of escape what's coming. Because when he is taken out of the way, what was coming now comes. Uh, Just that much. Verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed, that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, notice, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Does your Bible say that? There is one who is coming on this earth. It's a part of the whole end time plan. People want this, they're going to get this. People don't want to do it God's way, all right? You get what you want. But the one who is coming will come after he probably the man-child, the overcomers, that group of really believers, when they're raptured out of here. Then comes the wicked one. There's no more resistance to him on the earth. Only people know how to deal with the devil are those that have been taught. They're taken out of the way. Then comes the wicked one with all kinds of impressive displays of authenticity. Look at me, I am God. Nobody else could do what I dislike the Bible days. Who else could do this except Christ? And folks, let me, let me tell you something. I'm not a prophet. You know that. But at this time in history, they'll cross all the lines. Muslims, Christians, Buddhist, Hindu. There's going to be such an outstanding display that could only come from God that they'll all say that is God. And the whole world will lie in wonder at these lying signs and wonders. They're not real. They're demonic. They look right. But people don't know when it's right and when it's wrong because they never cared about it, never taught, were taught about it, don't know anything about it. When a sign or a wonder is right, it has a message that goes with what God is doing and what God is saying. When Jesus did signs and wonders, he pointed everybody to Christ, and then he started ministering to them. But not now. These, these are signs and wonders, to be sure. Miracles. I mean, outstanding things. A figure will be made to speak. An image will talk. And yet, that could be a lying sign and wonder. For today's technology, probably anything can go. 
and people will believe it. They'll subscribe to it. They'll follow it. They'll embrace it. They will set aside anything they've ever heard because they never heard much in church, so there's nothing to hold on to. They'll set all that aside and go a-whoring after this new end-time religious movement in person. And notice, in your Bible, you're reading this in your Bible. Verse 9, even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why? Because, can you read that last part of verse 10? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You're looking at it in this hour. Right now, as I'm speaking, this is what's going to happen, and it's beginning to happen. Deceivableness is already in the world. It's working now. Look at all the signs. Look at the filth in the world and the uncleanness in the world, the lying and cheating and deception and, and mistruth. Who can you trust anymore? Even the church is set up without trust in the leaders. They have systems of redoing them every three years or something. Because we don't trust anybody to lead. We don't trust people. Why should you? You've been lied to because of who's the father of lies? The devil. He's been mastering people's lives and attitudes for years. He's been inspiring all kinds of wrong things for years. And here he comes on the scene. Finally, no opposition from Christians. The true believers are, are going to be gone. And here he comes. Begins to work in these miracles. And with all deceivableness of what is not right, the words they're going to speak, the direction they're going to give to people as miracle workers, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, all these people are going to perish. They're going to perish. Instead of all of them be caught away and taken to heaven, the Bible says only a few are going to make it. What happened to the others? They didn't want to hear it. Let me say it again. He said, because they received not the love of the truth, that what? They might be saved. Will the love of the truth save you? Yeah, but how can you tell? Because you live it. This is why they were spared from the things that are coming. And if you don't want to hear it, if you don't want to do it God's way, verse 11, God shall send them strong delusion. My goodness. Strong delusion that they might believe a lie and be damned for it. That's eternal damnation. Why will they be damned? Because God didn't like them? Or vice versa? They didn't love the Lord, did they? Oh, we go to church, we love the Lord. No, you don't. No, you don't. You love yourself. You love your system. You love things your way. That's what you love. That's what you seek with your life. That's why you look for the easy way out, because you love yourself. What you gave to God was your mind and thoughts, not your life. When God gets all of you, he gets all of you. If you don't want to give him all of that and you want to keep complaining, well, that's too hard, too hard, well, they have to give him anything. that's too much. <laughs> if you want that, God will give you what you want. And you'll find yourself settling back into your kind of religion. And the big church will offer it to you. They tell me, I don't know this, but the biggest church in America no longer preaches about sin because sin makes people uncomfortable. And they don't want to sit in a place and be uncomfortable. So you leave that part out. So what do you say then? You talk about things that people like to hear. You just leave your personal life out of it. That's coming right as I'm speaking. You don't have to be a prophet to say what I've said. You just have to read the Bible. This is where we are right now in this year, this month, and this day of this month. And this is what is laying right in front of us. That's why I think in this hour the, the word has to be intense. We don't have a lot of time. Now, I pray for our young people that they'll, they'll get this and they won't have to go through all the struggles of childhood and fall this way and fall that way. That they'll get it. 
Look at chapter 2 and verse 3. Again, let no man deceive you by any means, whatever they try to do. Man deceive you. Don't let man mislead you by any method or way or by any means. Notice, for that day shall not come except what? People start turning, as our, our text, Deuteronomy 11, people start turning aside. They start turning away. It's too hard. They start looking for something else. I'm not going to sit in church all morning and hear somebody do all that. I'm, I'm not going to listen. And they just start turning aside. They go somewhere else. Listen to this. I don't mean to go somewhere else because, you know, we're not the only place, obviously. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day. That day of the Lord shall not come except there come a falling away first. And when the falling away begins, the man of sin will begin to emerge. He's in the world now. There's been many predictions on who he is. I don't have a clue. I'm really not interested. I just know that he's coming. I'm more interested in being ready to go than finding out who he is. And by the way, he'll make it without me. He'll be here whether I know it or not. I just want to know that I don't get caught up in all the distractions of this world and begin to change my view of Christ and his way and begin to change my theology to fit my experience and a doctrine of a demon take over in my life and I miss heaven. I don't want to do that. I'm going to stay with the same old, same old. I'm going to stay with where I started and what he gave me then. It was pure then, it's pure now. And what he's added to it through the years is just purifying the whole thing. I'm going to stay with that. Now, third thing this morning, we're, these are two short ones, the last two are. you got to beware, and we've been talking about this here, but to avoid deception, beware of a liberal attitude towards salvation. For me in a Christian church, salvation was going forward when I think I was 12. The first time I think was 12. Going forward, asking the preacher, tell me you want to be a part of the church or whatever you called it then. Then the following Sunday, I got baptized in, in the baptismal. My dad had a fit, but that was how it started. And that's basically all it was. It never really meant anything. My reason for going forward was so I could take communion on Sunday morning. That's why I went forward, because I didn't like to sit there and the pan was passed by, the communion tray, and, and my friends could take their cup and piece of bread, and I couldn't. Or my mother would take hers and then pass it past me. I wasn't allowed to take it. I wanted to be able to do that. That's not salvation. It didn't matter. That's what I did. And for a lot of people, feeling bad about what you just did or about your sins or some mistake that you have made and ask God to forgive you, for them means salvation. But asking God to forgive you of something that you did last night doesn't mean you want to be forgiven of all your sins. You just feel bad about what you did. Or you join church because you want to quit smoking or drinking or quit watching pornography or some other thing that you do, some weakness that's in your life. But that's not salvation. You don't go forward or raise your hand or bow on your knee just so you can stop smoking, drinking, or see a dead loved one. The reason you ask God to save you is because of your sins. You can't do anything about it. You can't stop doing something and the sin goes away. Only God can forgive sins. Somebody's got to tell you that. Only God can remedy your life. And he's already done that. Let me tell you about it. And you talk about the plan of salvation, the cross, the sinless life, the resurrection. All these things are God's provision with his lamb for our sins. And that if you will believe now in all of this, God will not only forgive you, but he'll transform your life. You become a new creature. Everything becomes new. Now, if that's not what salvation is to you, you don't have it yet. We're in the process of salvation. The new birth is, happens now. Salvation is working out your salvation with fear and trembling, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. And then thirdly, you go to heaven. You enter into eternal life.
with a new body. You start here, you live here, you wind up here. This transforming life is working out your salvation, living saved, living saved, evidencing the power of Christ in your life, the power of the indwelling Christ inside of you, not only monitoring your thoughts and ideas and actions, but motivating you to do what's right. And when you live on his terms, you're being faithful, faithful, and there's no other way to please God. You can't join church. You can't give away enough clothes, groceries, go on missionary. You can't do anything else to please God but just be faithful to what he says. That's what he wants. It's pretty simple. But there is such little, little is made of it. Again, the church that I grew up in, different than yours, it was just a traditional family church. Good people were there. They were. I mean, some of the nicest people I knew at the time were people in our church. They were kind. They were generous. I didn't know at the time where they were lost or saved. It didn't matter. But that's the way I grew up. That was the church environment that I was in. Now, in that same environment, when God saved me, when I really did get saved, and I was born again on June the 30th, 1968, my life took an absolute change, and the very people that I had grown up with began to be very bothered with my life, and others at the same time, others besides me. They were beginning to be troubled by this desire to pray all the time. We used to go by the church at night and go in there and turn on the cross. The church is always open. We'd go in there and spooky old place, but we'd turn on the light and go up there on the steps and kneel and pray. One of the trustees in our church one night called the night watchman and said, there's something going on over there. Why don't you sneak in? And old Charlie Henthorne, he came in. You know, a little town, you know everybody. And we were in there mumbling and praying, and we could hear the door open back there. Here comes Charlie. We're sitting here praying, thanking the Lord for his goodness and grace. And he comes up, what's going on in here? What's going on in here with that flashlight? Hello, Mr. Henthorne. We're praying. You want to join us? Huh? <laughs> and he didn't. But the very people that were living in a quiet, dead environment were resurrected to vengeance when all a bunch of us got saved. And all we were trying to do was learn the ways of God and then have the courage to live it. And the very people that we were in all of our life, they began to oppose it. I mean, we voted on a new songbook one year, and they didn't like these old, like Amazing Grace. That's, that's not stuff we want to start singing here. I didn't know what Amazing Grace was until I read the song. I thought, well, what's wrong with that? See, it's the way they were trained. They were put to sleep by the devil years ago. It was their little church. They ran it on their terms. They had all their little people in there. They didn't want to change anything. And when you came along and you got saved and you wanted to raise your... No! It's precisely one of the reasons I had to leave. I could not live the way I'm being taught to live in that place without causing people to sin. To aggravating people makes them sin. I had to leave. I got out. I'm here, right? I came here eventually. I imagine most of you probably felt like you had to go. It was either that or sit there, be like them, be conformed to who they were, and die. I didn't want to do that. But there is a liberal attitude about Christianity because the truth is we can't live as we please. We can't do as we please. We can't act as we please, and we can't use the excuse, well, you know, God understands. We're, we're not perfect, and we'll never be. And come on, I mean, after all, salvation is more than that. Salvation involves a cross without which we cannot be his disciple. There are so many little tests along the way that if you read it, you'll have to challenge yourself and take heed to yourself. Are you doing that? Are you opposed to that? You're not like that? There's just so much to it. I'd like you to look in 1 John 3 for just a moment before we close. 1 John 3 and verse 7. We're told here to not be deceived. And then he tells us something that we should not be deceived about. 
Be not deceived. He that doeth what? Righteousness is righteous. Well, then, if you're talking about living righteous or living righteously, are you not saying living and doing what God wants us to do? Which is right? Seek first the kingdom of God and what's right, his way. All of his ways are righteous, aren't they? Seek first the kingdom of God and the way that he has for us that alone is right. You can't modify it. You can't change it. He's all, it's established forever. All you can do is get in the flow. Do it his way. Live on his terms. That's what he says. Seek first. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything that your people are struggling for, God says he'll add it to you. He says, be not deceived. If a man is righteous, he will live a righteous life. And when a man is not righteous, when he is not living right, he is living in sin. If it's not according to God, it's darkness, isn't it? Even the good ways of man are sin. There is a way that seems right. What book are you in? First John? Look in chapter 1. In verse 9, we all know this one. If we confess our righteousness, if we're not willing to live righteous, but we're living righteous the wrong way, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no unrighteousness with God. There will be no unrighteousness in heaven. And all those subjects that are going to go that way, we're going to have to live on his terms and be right with God according to how they live. It's simple. Now, we make salvation anything else. If we take that out and say, well, it doesn't matter, it does matter. Don't tell me it doesn't matter. You're just giving people a license to... To fall asleep spiritually. The two great questions. You know why I'm going to keep dealing with this until it's not there to deal with anymore. But two great questions in life. I asked it to a couple of people yesterday at camp. I love this. One is what and the other is why. What will happen to you when you die? You know you're going to die because it's appointed and a man wants to die. I told a young lady. Now, what's going to happen to you when you die? If they'd say, well, I'm in church camp. Everything's all right. Church camp can't save you. You can be lost as a goose, as we would say, and be in church camp. So what do you do? When you die and you know you're going to die, it's going to happen. You don't know when. You don't know how, but it's going to happen. Then what? I mean, you're in an in, in eternal state. It's either heaven or hell. Righteousness or wrongness, you're either going to be right or wrong. The judgment of God is fair and just. If you did what he said, you'd be right. And if you didn't want to do it, he said, all right, depart from me. It's fair. And you're making the decision with right now the way you live. So what do you do? And, you know, you can see this in some of these young folks' faces. They've never even thought of this like that. It's never even occurred to them that, that this is a subject that I personally have to deal with. I go to a church where we're all right. No, that's not the way it works. I could talk to this particular person like that. And I said, what are you going to do when you die? I'm going to heaven. I said, how do you know? How do you know? Why would God let you in heaven? I mean, based on what in your life... It's going to gain you interest into heaven. Are you saying I'm too good to go to hell? I, I I'm not really a bad person. I haven't done that much bad. I mean, I'm not that bad. Is that Then if that's all you have to do is be good, then there was no reason for Jesus to come to this world and die. Doesn't make any sense. All you have to do is be good because you've established your own religion. You bypassed all the things you should have learned and said, well, I only have to be good. Well, no man is good, Jesus said. 
Well, yeah, but you know. No, I don't know. Tell me. Then you, you know, you're obnoxious at that point. Well, I believe I said so does the devil. And you can see this look of Brother Hamilton. I said, well, the devil does believe. Anybody say they believe? Anybody? The devil says he believes. And then they finally said, well, how do we get there? I said, you believe the revelation that Jesus has given you of your sin and his life, that he lived and he died and was raised again so that you can be saved. And all you can do is believe that and show it by your life. And that's the way you're saved. Not of myself. It is a gift of God. Nothing I have done but what he done for by grace through faith am I saved. And that's all I got. Folks, living a saved life is a precious and costly thing. We can't take anything away from that. We must realize that in this life we have to contend for the faith because we are still vulnerable to deception. And in closing, in closing, the fourth and last thing I wanted to say about how we can avoid deception is just remember the principle of sowing and reaping. Just remember that. You will reap what you sow. God is fair and God is just. He gives you the reason to do right, doesn't he? He warns you against doing wrong. And your father has declared the truth and the way, both light and darkness, right and wrong, has been kind enough to show us that, given us conviction in our heart that should provoke us to action. That's what he does. Now, it's like it's your life to live now. Because here's the deal, and it's fair and it's true with all of us. We all live with this. What you sow, you reap. You sow to your flesh, of your flesh you will reap destruction. You sow to your spirit, of your spirit you will reap eternal life. It's your choice. Can I get you to look one more scripture, please? Romans 2. Romans 2. I, I will close with this. I'll even leave Proverbs 1 out of it. I'll just turn to Romans 2. Romans chapter... Two, beginning in verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. So those are choices you're making, and your deeds are the consequences of your choices. To them who, by patient continuance in well-doing, seek for glory, those who seek for glory and honor and immortality, He'll give you eternal life. But to those who are contentious, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, you're going to get indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also the Gentile. But here's what you can have. Here's what you can have. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For with God there is no respecter of persons. The choice is yours. We do not have to be deceived. We do not have to be turned aside. We will be tempted all of our life, but there is no reason for the devil's work to be successful in any of our lives. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks this morning for your word and for the truth that does make a man free. We give you thanks for the opportunity to hear your truth. You're the only one, Lord, that can look in every heart in this room, and you know the thoughts and the intents of our heart nobody else knows. You know our lives to the very hairs of our head. You know our feelings, our attitudes. You know everything about us. Nobody can hide anything from you. Give us a desire to have an honest and open heart before you, to live a humble life, 
to trust you with all of our hearts. Not only to bless you, but to be blessed by you. Grant us the courage to be what we ought to be and not give in to world opinions and man's ways. Bless those that are here this morning. Keep us in your care, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.